0: Hello, my name is Nish Kumar, I'm a comedian. Pretty funny! Not my words, the words of a journalist. Uh, I'm a stand-up comedian and in a sketch group called The Gentlemen of Leisure. You can follow me on Twitter, at Mr Nish Kumar. Or why not just come round my house?
1: So Nish, how did you get into comedy?
0: I got into comedy while I was at university. Um, I, When I start, like the first week we had the Freshers' Fair, and the first stand that I went to was the student Review sketch comedy show, and I thought, I've always had an inflated sense of self worth maybe I should get involved in that um and I auditioned and didn't get in in my first year, and I think I only realized when I didn't get in how much I wanted to do it so then but then i one of the guys who was in it said, "You were really close, you still got two years left. you should definitely go for it next year." So then I went back, got in, and that's how I started. So my first thing that I did was student sketch comedy, which is widely considered to be the lowest level of comedy on the circuit at the moment. But we got to do we used to do three shows a year and then we would take the best of those. And we went I went to the Edinburgh Festival for the first time in 2006. And that was my first festival. And so we spent a whole year writing shows performing them in Durham and then we would perform with Oxford and Cambridge and we did shows in Newcastle and Leeds and we would it was I mean it was amazing and from that in my final year at uni um, I did a bit of stand-up as a student and I was kind of I had always had designs on doing that but then two of my friends made me do it because I, I think if I hadn't had that push I never would have done it but they made me do it in my final year and so from that I started
1: So, was your first experience of performing comedy as sketch comedy and not stand-up?
0: Yeah. The first time I did any live comedy was in the basement of Durham Student Union. Um, And there were quite a few people there. Now that I think about it, there were probably about 150 people in that room. And I'd never done any comedy before. And I really thought... We'd spent the whole term working towards that show, and it was like Christmas time. And I really remember thinking... I should probably do a runner at this point. But for the first sketch, I haven't thought about this in a long time. The first sketch was a song and I played, uh, I was playing conjoined twins with somebody because it it was hilarious. Uh, And I was thinking in my head, I think I might just run away. But I couldn't because I was physically attached in a giant T-shirt to a guy called Morgan. And so there was no way... (laughs) There was absolutely no way of me getting out. I think maybe if I look back on it, I should have gone, Morgan, we should both do a runner. This is mental that we're about to do this. But no, I, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. But it was amazing. It was really, it was, it was a really fun, uh, fun gig.
1: And how did that compare to your first stand-up gig? Uh, it was a pretty
0: similar experience of uh, sheer terror. Um yeah, it was really frightening. I remember in a weird way, the first show that I did, the first stand-up show I did at university was more frightening than the first actual gig that I did because I knew loads of people. And that is more terrifying. When I when you first start doing stand-up in London, you don't know anybody. You don't know anybody in the audience. You don't know any of the other comedians. You feel completely and you're completely secure in the knowledge that if you fail, absolutely no one is going to know about this. It's not going to be brought up at a family reunion or some kind of gathering of your pals. Whereas the first time I did it at university, I knew like everybody there. And it was if I had failed spectacularly. I would have probably killed myself. I don't think that's too high a thing to suggest. It would have been really, really embarrassing. But it was, no, it was great. The first, all my, I think all of my first gigs in anything, sketch, stand-up or whatever, were always really good, which is lucky, because I think if you start dying on your ass, it might put you off completely.
1: Where was your first stand-up gig?
0: Uh, It was in a bar in Durham, and... um, it was it was a place where we used to go that was the place where we used to gig uh, when we were at university um and i'm trying to remember where the first gig i did because then i graduated and i thought well i'll just be a stand-up and probably be brilliant and successful but then at some point i lost my nerve when i graduated and i didn't start doing stand-up when i left university i had a proper job for like six months and I don't I don't know why I did that to this day even now I sometimes think I don't know why I did that like because the whole thing at university was about comedy and the whole thing was I'm going to do comedy and that's going to be it and then I just went no can't do it sorry and just bottled it completely like totally and so I didn't do any gigs when I graduated and then in about February 2008 I had some kind of I think I had a mental breakdown and then I built my brain back up again. And I suddenly, it was like I'd been asleep and some other douchebag had been in charge. And the real me woke up and went, what is this? This is, this is not what we had planned. Um, and so, yeah, I'm trying to remember where my first, the first year I did in London. I think it might be downstairs at the King's Head. Um, and then I also used to... Yeah, I think it might have been downstairs at the King's Head. Oh, no, and then I really vividly remember quitting my job on the Friday and then doing a gig in London and then going to Leeds on the Sunday. I did a gig in Le- at Leeds University. I think that was the first gig, one of the first proper gigs I did.
1: Did you find that having that gap from university and then gigging in London, did that have an effect on your performance?
0: Yeah, I think what happened was... I think when I when I first started, I think I thought it shattered a lot of illusions that I'd had. I think that I thought I was in a place where I was really ready to go because I'd done six gigs at university. And I was like, London better watch out. McIntyre, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you, Mac. But um, th- when I started in London, I was like, oh, no, this is very different. This is much worse. Uh, this, <laughs> this is considerably more difficult. And I think what that six-month break did do was it did interrupt the momentum slightly. I think if I'd have gone and and kind of built off of the back of it, I would have started with a bit more confidence. But I think um, when I did did start initially, I was a bit all over the place because I'd had that interruption of really focusing on comedy, then stopping that pretty much completely, then restarting it. And the thing that really put my brain into gear and really got me performing well was I then went to Edinburgh in 2008 and did a free fringe four-hander. And but just the process of performing every day was what actually reconfigured me and got me in the kind of right frame of mind. I think, and also it made my act, it basically made my act a less of a Woody Allen ripoff because that was what my original stage persona was.
1: In that six months um, when you got a job that wasn't comedy, were you still writing or did you just completely stop comedy?
0: I think I was thinking about it. I always knew that I would do it At some point, um, like I say, when I look back on it, it's very difficult to examine my own motivations. I don't know what was going through my mind at that time. Um, I was constantly thinking about stand up, but again, these were all the lessons that I these are all things that when retrospectively you go, Well that should have been obvious to you that this that this is the case. But at the time as you're going through it, you, there's a fog of whatever that's preventing you from actually seeing obvious lessons that you should be learning. And one of the things that I didn't realise was I thought you could sit in your room and come up with stand-up and then you would walk downstairs onto the stage and it would emerge. I, performing is the thing that instigates writing for me and that's just the way that my brain works. Um, and I need, to, I need to be constantly on stage and that actually stimulates me to come up with more ideas and developed. I developed my writing brain concurrently with my kind of performance style
1: and you studied english and history uh, at durham so would you say that that's had quite a big effect um on your material and the way that you write
0: um no <laughs> i i think when you think about it i because i have an interest in history and an interest in english anyway so i was always interested in reading and you know reading novels and reading kind of historical books and stuff i think what's more important is the comedians that i like are verbally dexterous and how to use interesting like la- use language in an interesting way and i think that's probably i'd love to say yeah my comedy is actually quite heavily informed by the writing of eric Ho- eric Hobsborne. and i'm also i'm my my stand-up is very influenced by charles dickens it's very infl- it's very dickensian comedy um but i would love to say that that's the case but i think the reality is particularly with my stand-up I think it's because I like very verbally dexterous comedians. And so I think that's probably more of an influence. It might not be a coincidence that I did English and history, have an interest in literature, and am also drawn to more literate stand-ups. I think, yeah, that that is probably... Uh, that is a legitimate connection to make. But I wouldn't say my degree was... Particularly because I feel loath to say that my degree informed my comedy. Because because of comedy, I neglected my degree spectacularly. I almost feel bad for the English and history departments of Durham claiming that they somehow had an influence when in fact I was not attending their lectures so that I could write sketches.
1: And then you were saying how you performed at the Edinburgh Festival with the Durham Review and you also performed at the Edinburgh Festival um, in your comedy duo, The Gentleman of Leisure with Tom Neenan and your show was in the form of the culture show, but as you said, presented by the Chuckle Brothers. Uh, so. How did you find that it compared to performing stand-up, being in a comedy duo and in a sketch group?
0: Well, I've, uh, I've known Tom for a long time. And um, so we were in the Durham Review together along with Mr. Edward Gamble. And we were all in the Review together at the same time. So I'd known Tom for a few years. And so when we, start, when we sort of first had the conversation, it was a kind of a bleak thing about whether we would like to do something together. And the idea kind of kept evolving and evolving. But we... When we initially started, because when we were in um, the review, we used to write separately and then come together and discuss it. And so when we, initially when Tom and I started, we were writing in the same way. So in that regard, it's actually got some... It actually had something in common with stand-up because it was me sitting alone and then trying to think about it. And then I would start talking to Tom. And it was only when I think we both mentally acknowledged that we had to work together more. And actually it was more fun to actually write at the same time and be in the room together that's when it diverged from stand up and became something a bit different and acknowledging that was actually quite important that it's two completely it's almost two completely different parts of your brain i mean you're still trying to write jokes at the end of the day but it just it's two completely different disciplines because actually with the gentleman of leisure we every word is discussed and every word has to be legitimised and every joke has to be conversed over whereas with stand-up I will go on and talk around a subject and we'll talk around it and talk around it and eventually edit it down until it's palatable for the general public whereas with the gentleman version we spend much more time on each and every word there has to be more of a precision and also you have to learn your lines because there is somebody else on stage and if you don't know your lines you are really leaving them hanging whereas with stand-up you're only really risking your own dignity um, but yeah, the writing was quite different because it was I- exciting to be coming up with things with your friend in a room. That's really fun. Stand up is obviously by nature, you know, a more lonely process, but um, it, it, writing Gentleman of Ledger shows is a huge amount of fun.
1: And then in terms of learning your lines, do you find it difficult performing the same material over and over again, for example, for a month's run at the Edinburgh Festival?
0: Yes. Well, no, I've got a terrible memory. So every day it's like a new show for me. It's a real fresh surprise. I'm like, wow, I forgot that bit was in it. Um, With Edinburgh, I find with all of the things that I've done, stand up, sketch or whatever, there's a kind of it's a three week period. So in the first week, you're still finding your feet with the show, even if you know it inside out. Edinburgh has a way of making you feel a bit more insecure about the material. And so you're finding a way, you're getting comfortable and confident in the space. Then in that second week, it gets sweet because you're still excited enough about the show and you really know it, you're comfortable, confident, and those are often the kind of sweetest shows. And you really hit a rhythm. Then you have a day off. That sends the rhythm all over the place. You then have two terrible shows. You then recover from that. And then by the time you're into the third week, you're quite fed up of the show. You're quite bored of it but there's light at the end of the tunnel so the last three shows are often fun and that generally tends to be the arc of Edinburgh there's yeah i think there is there there is a danger of fatigue and with stand up it was it's easier to keep stand up fresh only because you're constantly addressing the audience and they could do anything because they are the british public and the british public is capable of absolutely anything so they keep it varied so i had you know various different incidents with audience members in the show, which actually helped me to stay on my toes and kept me engaged in the material. Um, And with the Gentlemen of Leisure shows, I think the thing that kept it fresh was we would build in small bits of improv and little areas where we could change things up every day. And I would try and make Tom laugh and you know he would do the same to me and we would try and kind of mess with each other but in very strict because it's an ext- i mean you've seen it it's an extremely written show so we, we don't have that much scope to kind of muck around but we do deliberately build in little points little strictly controlled areas in the script where we can vary it up every day and that helps keep it fresh i think
1: what do you think were the most unexpected moments performing your first hour this year with the british public
0: Oh, oh! there were some unexpected moments. I mean, it was lovely. I was on at 8 o'clock, so I thought...
1: 8.20. <laughs> twenty
0: Listeners, uh, Sarah is a uh, scrupulous researcher to the extent that she knows details of my life better than I do. Um, yeah, it was 8.20, and so I thought everyone was going to be shit-faced. I really thought I was going to be dealing... But actually, it wasn't. It was really nice. The crowds were all really fun. But, we I mean, we had one, I had one lady who... The rudest person in any of the audiences, I didn't get heckles or anything, there was one person who was really rude. She was sat in the front row and she started checking her BlackBerry, like, halfway through the show. And so I was just like, what are you, what are you doing? And she went, oh, I'm just catching up on some admin. And I was like, and then I could see her and she was obviously drunk. She's obviously shit-faced. And so I I spent about five minutes just pretending to be her doing drunk admin and that got a nice laugh from the rest of the audience because it had been quite a difficult gig up till that point. Uh, and that got quite a nice laugh for the rest of the audience. So I thought, I can continue. And then her husband piped up. And for some reason, he thought it would be a good thing to do to say, good luck getting back on with the rest of your show. And I went, what do you mean? And he said, you probably can't remember the rest of it. And then I had to spend the next two minutes explaining to him that I'd been performing the same show every day for up to that point, I think 20 days. And if you smashed me on the head, dropped me out of a helicopter, into the middle of the show, I would be able to find my way out. It was just amazing to think that this guy thought that he had like, somehow ruined my show because I'd forget it. Um, and then the, But actually, the strangest thing that happened was at the end of my show, people were... It was the end of the show, and I was saying, thanks very much for coming. I hope you enjoyed it. And a man started waving his ticket at me. And I thought, that is an unusual thing for you to do. And I said, what, what's wrong? And he went, we really enjoyed it. And I was like, thank you. That's nice of you to say. And he he said, we enjoyed it so much. We actually had tickets to a different show and we got led in by accident. But my girlfriend and he pointed to the woman who at that point was buried in her own dress out of shame. He said, my girlfriend just went, I'm not leaving. It'll be too embarrassing. So they had tickets for a different show, got led into mine, stayed out of politeness and then wanted to tell me how much they enjoyed it. (laughs) it was great it was a wonderful I got I had them both on stage they bowed with me at the end it was really it was a really (laughs) lovely moment but yeah you could never tell what what weirdness the British public are going to cook up for you
1: well your show was called who is Nish Kumar and in an interview you said that the basis of your show title was because your agent said that no one's going to know who you are so it was essentially the title was an extension of your narcissism and um, it was about exploring your cultural identity. So do you feel that after performing the show, do you feel that you've learned more about yourself or developed as a person and found out who Nish Kumar is from your show?
0: Yeah, I think I haven't. I don't really like him. I'm uh, not really a fan. We've got to know each other quite well over the last 12 months. And uh, he's, he's not for me. Um, I don't I don't know if it's I think the show is brings people up to date with my life, so it 's kind of a because it 's the first hour and I was introducing you 're introducing yourself to the public. it was really me talking about a lot of the experience that I 'd had previously and was bringing me kind of up to speed I was bringing the audience up to speed with where my life was, and it was a lot of this stuff in it, the kind of emotional core of the show was stuff that I had already gone through and so it's really all about filling the audience in as to where I've been and how I've got to this point the second hour which I'm working on at the moment is much more about where I am at the moment and I would say I'm probably learning more about myself as a person from the material that I'm currently writing because the logic of it is you know, I've brought the audience up to speed. Now I'm updating them on what's happened in the last, last 12 months. And I'd say I'm probably learning more about myself from the current material that I'm working on. And I'm not sure I like what I'm learning. <laughs> but yeah, I think the show was... Uh, because there was stuff about race and identity, I think it was clarifying... It, helped, it, it It was a lot of stuff that I'd thought about over the years, particularly about race. And so it was summarising why I feel the way that I do about ethnicity and then kind of drawing conclusions. So when I think it was more a summary of things that I've learned rather than a process of me currently finding out more about myself.
1: Well, having so many different experiences of performing at Edinburgh, what advice would you give to people who are thinking of taking up a show?
0: Um, I Because every other comedian, I can hear their voice in my head just going, don't do it, don't take a show up, it's miserable, I have a horrible time. But the thing is, I love Edinburgh. I think it's a great place to go, especially when you're a student and you don't have the pressure that then comes with trying to make stand-up your job or comedy your job. That obviously... And once you have a financial investment in it, of course, there's that horrible element to it as well. But the Free Fringe is amazing. I did two years on PBH's Free Fringe. It's great. That is a really exciting place to go and just try out ideas. I mean... I, uh, there are a bunch of me and a couple of my friends were doing our first hours this year. And I know for a fact that all of us would not have developed that material without the opportunity that the Free Fringe offers you. So if you're a student, that's a bonus. Also, if you're a student, you can go and do a paid venue because you can ask your university for money. Don't be shy about asking your university for money. There are various boards and funds that a lot of universities have. And they're obviously not going to walk around offering the money to you. But if you ask for it, you can get it. And also, over the course of the year, if you're a a comedy performer at a university, you have the opportunity to raise the funds by putting on gigs. I mean, the way that it would work in Durham is we would get a little bit of money from the university, but most of the payment for our Edinburgh stuff came from the tickets that we sold to our shows over the course of the year. Um, And so a lot of the work that you put in in terms of flyering those termly shows that that pays dividends in terms of how much you can save on edinburgh i mean i would always say go i think it's a fantastic place you if you're passionate about comedy it's an incredible place you see so much interesting stuff you see some incredible things that you would never have thought possible in my first year i saw andrew o'neill's first show where he tried to prove winston churchill was jack the ripper um I saw the first We Are Clang, sorry, the the last We Are Clang original hour of material, and the, it's just stuff that I thought I was a fan of comedy because of things that I'd seen on the television. But there's this whole other live comedy subculture that you have no idea about if you don't go to Edinburgh. And so, you know, if you go up as a punter, you'll see amazing stuff. But if you're a performer at university, it's you've got to go. It's amazing.
1: Well, the culture and variety at the Edinburgh Festival is amazing, and. Of course, performers have to workshop their ideas around the circuit before they go to the festival. So would you say that the London comedy scene is as welcoming to interesting ideas as at the Edinburgh Festival?
0: Yes, I think it is, but I think they're less, they are less forgiving because in a comedy club, they're less forgiving. I'm just trying to think in my head what I'm trying to say. So they are less, they're less forgiving of gaps between jokes. I think that if you try material in a comedy club, they have pay- they have paid to see a comedy show. And so they're less forgiving of the space between punchlines. Um, and so, whereas in Edinburgh, audiences are coming to see hour long shows. And so they actually are prepared to let things breathe and let things develop a little bit more. Um, but at the same time, if you're only playing to audiences that are willing to indulge that level of of that the kind of gaps and the spaces between the punchlines you run the risk of disappearing up your own backside and i think the london comedy circuit keeps you delivering punchlines at a kind of rapid rate it keeps you grounded in comedy and in the kind of delivery system of jokes and so what it then what that then allows you to do is develop a kind of hour of jokes and you can weave the meaning and weave the emotional content and weave the themes in between the punchlines. And so, what you ultimately want to do is take a show to Edinburgh that has both a kind of emotional content or a narrative content, and is consistently delivering big laughs. So yeah, I do think that it is, I think that it is a less forgiving place, and I think that that's a good thing eventually for Edinburgh shows. It's not just the London comedy, so if you go to comedy clubs all around the country, wherever you go, people are expecting you to be delivering laughs, because that's what they've paid the money to see. Um, Whereas in Edinburgh, people will be more forgiving. But if you bring them a show that has a content and has a spine, and is consistently delivering laughs, then that's almost, the whole, that's almost the whole package. And I think that's what, if you're a narrative stand-up, like a, it, there's not one way to do stand-up comedy and there's not, certainly not one way to do an Edinburgh show, but if you're a storytelling comedian, you generally want to weave some kind of theme into it and you may want to have either an emotional content, a political point, or just a resolution to the narrative that isn't necessarily grounded in comedy. But if you can do all of that, and be consistently making people laugh, then you have the makings of a mind-blowing show. I mean, something somebody like Daniel Kitson's show this year, which had a really sophisticated structure and had a really interesting emotional core, but never stopped delivering huge laughs. Is a kind of That's a kind of perfect show. That's what we all hope we can kind of achieve.
1: And of course you've performed all over the country, but you do lots of niche gigs. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So you MC the pleb gigs, and uh, you're going to be performing at the British Museum this month um, as part of the Gentlemen of Pleasure, which you also did last year with Monster Comedy. And of course, you did the Monster Comedy, Comedy Shed at the Latitude Festival. So do you prefer gigs that have more of a niche setting?
0: I like the variety. I love the fact that you can do, you know, I mean, Saturday night, I did the Amuse Moose in Soho, which is a great club. And... You know, it was Saturday night, it was packed with people who wanted to watch comedy, they were having, they were having a few drinks. You go there, it's a, a really great atmosphere, and you have an amazing time, and then Friday I'm going to be in the British Museum. And I love I doing both, I really love that. That's the kind of dream, is to be able to play really interesting and alternative venues, and at the same time go on a Saturday and just have a really, really raucous gig. Having those two things is what makes stand up so exciting and varied for me. I think um, only doing one might, I personally might find boring to not have the variety. But the, I mean, the variety of gigs that I do is amazing. I mean, we did we we did gigs in a shed for three days at Latitude Festival, and I mean, it's not. Whenever I tell say that to people, they're like, "Oh, it's like a big shed." It wasn't a big shed. It was a tiny shed for people. And a comedian. And we had some fantastic gigs at Latitude. Like, it was so much fun. It was really, really, it was a really fun experience. And Pleb is great because we get to arse around in some pretty august locations. I mean, we used one of the UCL rooms, and that's a really fun experience because the audience feels like they're part of something because they don't get told where the venue's going to be. They just get told to assemble in a place, and then they're led to a venue. And there's... What that means is when you start the gig, there's an atmosphere of excitement. People really enjoy being in on the joke. Um, but then also you go to clubs like the Amused Moose or the Bracknell Comedy Cellar and you're up the creek on a Sunday and you go to these kind of big clubs where people are on a night out and you can still have really amazing and fantastic gigs. And having both of those things is really exciting. That's, that's, it's really fun for me to do both.
1: Would you say that you have a favorite type of venue that you prefer performing in?
0: Dank. I like it dank. I like the the most important thing in a stand-up venue is that it smells a bit of piss. <laughs> I think that's the most No, the most important thing, low ceilings. Any venue that has low ceilings is a w- immediate winner for stand-up. It stand-up functions better when everybody can feel the atmosphere. Um But at the same time, I was fortunate enough to do a couple of gigs in massive theatres. And the other thing that I found is those Victorians, they know their way around a theatre. That's what I will say for them. Uh, They were perverts and didn't really have a keen grasp on sewage, but they really knew how to build a theatre. And what I found doing a couple of these gigs is they have, even though they're big theatres they retain the atmosphere of a comedy club because people are kind of stacked high. So even, if they, even though they have the high ceilings, they're full of people all the way up. So the atmosphere is actually the same as doing a kind of really tiny club. But yeah, so low ceilings is my favorite for a comedy club and all those kind of old Victorian theaters.
1: And would you say that you have a favorite type of audience?
0: Just anyone who finds me funny, just literally anyone, even if they're racists. I don't even mind if they're racist. If they find me funny, I'm fine with that. Uh, no, I don't know. I, one of the things that I'm learning is you can't prejudge an audience. Because sometimes you walk in and you think, oh, these people are going to absolutely detest me. Um, and then you go on and they're just up for it. I think any audience that's just open... I think just any audience particularly I think the most frustrating audience sometimes even more than people who hate you the most frustrating audience are sometimes people who are just very restrained and don't seem to want to laugh and not it's not that they're not finding things funny very often they're the ones who will come up to you afterwards and say that was my favorite thing I've ever seen but they don't externalize their laughter they're all sat there grinning at you it l- looks like you're speaking in a different language and they're just trying to be polite they're the most frustrating audiences I think because it's just like just let it out let it out. So any audience that is willing to laugh, I am, I am on board with. I'm fine with that.
1: And do you have any tips or advice for aspiring comedians?
0: Oh, God, I'm the worst person to take. Well, let, let's go through some of the things that I've done and just work back, work backwards. Let's go through some of the key points of the Kumar CV. And then if you just don't do those things, just gig all the time and spend... As much time as you spend working on your material, spend it trying to get gigs. Because that is the most important thing. I Again, these lessons seem obvious now. It seems like I should have known this. When I did... In 2008, in the sort of six months between February and Edinburgh, I may have done, I guess, what, like 30 gigs maybe. Like maybe 35, 40 gigs. And I was just... I was barely booking them in. I was just getting, you know, one a week, maybe... And then I went to Ed, and I was like, I don't feel like I'm moving forward. And then I went to Edinburgh, and I did 25 gigs in 27 days. And at the end of the festival, I was like, man, I'm pretty shit hot. I wonder how this has happened. It's, it's a muscle. Everybody, stand-up is not... Stand-up is an... I, it's, you loathe to call it an art form. It's almost like... It, stand-up comedy is a muscle that you need to keep flexing and keep working at. It's a craft... And you have to treat it as an apprenticeship. So you just have to keep on doing it every day. Take every dog shit gig you get offered. Ignore your friends. You have no use for them now. (laughs) But just, yeah, just do it as often as possible. Because that was the thing that I didn't do when I was starting.
1: And do you have any tips or advice for students? Just have a lot of sex. Because, you know, just
0: do a lot of boning. Wear a condom, obviously, kids. But do as much boning as you can. Because... I was too afraid to speak to girls at university, and when you have a job, you'd have less hours in the day. As you're a student, all you should be doing is going to the occasional lecture and trying to bang your way through your degree. <laughs> no, uh, in all seriousness, um, it's a very privileged position you're in. Your parents have spent a lot of money on you being here, so you should not, you should not bang your way bang. You should be banging in the sex of the intellect. You should be sexually. You should be. Sexually penetrating ideas, rather, <laughs> rather than each other. Um, and if you're interested in comedy, do it. University is an amazing place to do it. So you, there are so many opportunities. Uh, do as much comedy as you can. Just try as much stuff as you can. And if you're terrible at it, or you fall on your ass and you fail at it, it's at university. And once you get that degree, it's a tabula rasa. Like your whole like, you don't have to ever acknowledge the failure that you were part of um So yeah, just try everything because it's a, r- a rare opportunity in your life where you can fail. Where you're, it's almost good to fail, and you learn more about your failures than your successes when you're at university. So yeah, try as much as you can, and also seriously, guys, do some banging because it's a lot of time pressures once you get out of
1: university. <laughs>